coming up on Influencing Entrepreneurs. And probably it would be good if the name somehow conveyed the features and the benefits of the product that we're, uh, that we're proposing to introduce. And, and Joe, who was doing his homework at the kitchen table without looking up, continuing to write, just said features, F-E-E-T-U-R-E-S. And with that, it was kind of like a light bulb went off and I said, mm, wow. After years of teaching business and entrepreneurship, I found that when guest speakers revealed the hardships and mistakes made throughout their professional and personal lives, it resonated with my students. That's when I thought, why not share these stories so that other entrepreneurs have access to the same insights for education and inspiration? I'm Kazmer Ward, and this is Influencing Entrepreneurs. On today's episode, we speak with the Gaither family from Features. Features is a performance sock brand sold in the run, footwear, sports specialty markets throughout the United States and another 1,000 locations worldwide. Based in North Carolina, Features is a family business focused on product innovation and customer service. Their mission? To engineer products designed to help you perform your best. In my fancy living, I used to buy a pack of socks at six at Walmart and thought my life was great. And remember, you had this this uh, this performance brand sock, and I said, okay, well, let's just go in and do the work and help them where I can. And you gave me a few pairs of socks. And I remember putting the socks on my feet for the first time and thinking, oh my gosh, like, why aren't all, like, I didn't know socks could be like this. I want you to tell us where the idea came from, but maybe even give us a, a background. Little kids don't grow up and say, when I grow up, I want to be in the sock and hosiery business. But obviously you have a great company, a great culture, which I want to make sure we talk about before we finish this. But where does this all begin? So I grew up in a little town northwest of Charlotte, Newton, in Catawba County. And what I would say is kind of the heart of a uh, Western North Carolina's textile, hosiery, and sock industry. And when I was growing up, there were hundreds of small mills and manufacturing operations that were in that business. Um, I went to Davidson College and then on to the University of North Carolina and got an MBA, which ultimately ended up being helpful in, in the starting of this business. But I went back and went to work in a family business, in a family hosiery manufacturing firm, and that's that's really what it was. It was, it was a manufacturer, and uh, that company made all kinds of hosiery products from ladies hosiery and fine sheer tights and pantyhose and things like that to sports socks. However, uh, everything that that company made, or at least most of it, was made with other people's names on it. So we made products for Walmart and Target, but we made it under their private label name. And so it never really created a brand of any sort. It became a fairly sizable company and there were a lot of really good things about that business. But it came to an end in um, uh, 2000, 2001. And so I found myself in need of doing something different. We have four kids and two of them are working with me and here today and three of them were in college at the time so it was very important to figure something out pretty quickly and um, although I thought about other avenues I had uh, enjoyed the sports sock part of the manufacturing business that we've been in and I had enjoyed the uh, fact that we were selling uh, we were we were connected to companies like Nike and Adidas that were becoming big brands at that time and dealing with sporting goods retailers out in the marketplace. Uh, and and with, this, uh, with a little bit of market research going into a couple of stores at the time and noticing that the sock brands that were in the market in 2000, 2001 had not changed really in the, in the products from the way they looked in 1980 and felt like maybe 
there was an opportunity to create a better product. With four children yeah. and a family to take care of, uh, we, it all runs through our mind if, if, if we become unemployed at that point. The, the first thing is like, let's just go get another job. Sure. And really, that's the easier thing right. to do. What did you weigh versus just going to get another job to start your other company, which is really saying, how can I make my life harder at this point? Right. Well, I honestly felt like I saw an opportunity since I'd been in the, in the sock world, so to speak, and had noticed uh, advancements in yarns and fibers and things like that. And then I saw the products that were sort of in place in the market in 2000, 2001. It really struck me that there looked like there was an opening or an opportunity in the market. And I felt like I had built up experiences with some retailers out in the marketplace. I'd certainly built up experiences with uh, potential independent sales reps that we ultimately have used in our business. So I felt like I had some connections. <clears throat> I felt like I had some experience that I could build on. And if I was, on the other hand, just to go out and look for a, a job with a totally different kind of company, yes, I had developed some experience in an organization and perhaps some leadership skills and some administrative skills, but I wouldn't be using any of the experiences and the relationships that I had developed in the market. So it just seemed like at the time that that was a path that maybe would best utilize the skills and the experiences that I had built up until that point. You see the opportunity, you see the need in the market. Um, you, you're going to make that leap. I talk a lot with, with my students on what, what do you go into the market with? What competitive advantage do you have when you're not holding the, the product in, in hand? One of yours at that point was at least relationships going forward. You at least, you had the skill set, you had the ability, and you did have a, uh, a Rolodex of, of people that could make those introductions. The question would be, how do you make a better sock? And, and what launches that idea? With some other colleagues that I uh, had relationships with, uh, I begin to sort of formulate a product approach. The products that were in the market at the time were thick and bulky and layered, which at the, when they were first developed in the early 80s were appropriate because footwear, athletic footwear, was not very supportive and comfortable. So those characteristics worked well for consumers. Uh, there were fibers developing that would allow a product to be made with what we would today say is more compression. So the idea of, of a product that would fit more snugly and supportively kind of become like a second skin as opposed to a product that was thick and bulky and provided a big buffer between the foot and the shoe was sort of the general concept and um, honestly just kind of started to unfold from there. A couple things that I had decided based on my experience in the manufacturing firm was that this particular approach was going to be a brand. Remember I told you that before we had no brand, we made everything under other people's names. Well, I decided this time we were gonna be a brand and that's what we're gonna be. So rather defining ourselves as a hosiery manufacturer or even a sock manufacturer, we were gonna be a consumer brand. And to have a consumer brand, you certainly need a product that has points of differentiation, but you also need a name. And so uh, over the five or six months that I was working to develop uh, the, the initial product, and we did end up going to Asia because the, the domestic manufacturing base was uh, shrinking at the time. And I did want one product point of differentiation, which at the time I zeroed in on what we call a seamless toe, and simply that wasn't available in the United States. Anyway, as the product started to emerge, this was in the fall of 2001, I'd been working on the product and the business plan for 
months, our three older kids, including John, were all away in college. And so Joseph, who at the time was 15, was the only person at home and came in from a run one night into our kitchen at home in Newton and uh, said, you know, to my wife and uh, Joe, who were getting ready to have dinner there that night, at some point we're going to need a name for this brand, for this brand that we're going to introduce into the marketplace. And probably it would be good if the name somehow conveyed the features and the benefits of the product that we're, uh, that we're proposing to introduce. And, and Joe, who was doing his homework at the kitchen table without looking up, continuing to write, just said features, F-E-E-T-U-R-E-S. And with that, it was kind of like a light bulb went off and said, mm, wow. And, and may I ask yeah. what role Joe plays in the company well, today? Today, Joe plays the role of market leading marketing, which kind of makes sense. So, so in other words, at 15, he was lobbying he was for a job. For the marketing the position. And he, uh, he still asked about those royalty checks for, yeah. the, for, for the naming uh, uh, proposal that he made back then. But, but needless to say, the name wor worked. Uh, it's, it's actually worked really well. We're in our 17th year. And although the name and the way we show it has evolved ever so slightly over time to better represent who we are today versus maybe who we were then, uh, the name stuck. I, I had a, one of my initial partners, and still a partner today, was on the marketing side of things. I had worked with him in my previous company and I had uh, approached him about helping us with marketing initially and he agreed to do that. And not only that, he, he wanted to become a partner. And he was working on the name with sort of his team but I called him up the next day and I said, Jim, I've, I've got the name. And of course he resisted a little bit and wanted to go through a very careful thought process. And I said, well, you can go through the thought process, but this is gonna be the name. And he eventually came to agree that the name was really perfect. And initially, and, and until recently, the name was printed a different way than we see here on the table. And it had an exclamation point, uh, which served both as a footprint and an exclamation point sort of for, for the brand. But it, it gave us our starting point. So with a with finally a product that we had that had a few differences and a name, uh, we were able to launch the company and the brand into the market. When does, and I want to hold this up for the camera, one of the things I've always liked about these socks is you have this additional support with, I guess, compression that just goes to the arch. Targeted compression. The targeted compression. When does this innovation come along? So that actually came in, in 2011. Um, when, we, when we launched in 2002, uh, we put together a sales force and we went with our initial product, which today we still have that product. We call it our high performance product. It was a product that was uh, more compressive than the other products in the market. It was made with a moisture managing fabric or fiber and it had this seamless toe that I talked about. Fortunately, from 2002 until about 2010, what we call the running specialty market went on a growth spurt. And so it kind of gave us the perfect incubator, if you will, for a new brand and new product. Because these were small running specialty stores. There are several of them here in Charlotte. Run for Your Life, Charlotte Running Company, Omega Sports, uh, Ultra Run. And there were a few hundred of those scattered around the country and they became our first point of sale, if you will. And People reacted favorably to the fact that our product was a little different from the products that were there. We, we began um, from that very beginning, and, and by the way, sitting over here on my right is John Gaither. John's my oldest son, and uh, John had finished Davidson in 2000, had spent a, a year and a half out on the West Coast with my brother, youngest brother, who's a golf professional, 
and he decided to come back home and do something, get a job, and uh, I said, I'd love to have you join me, John, in this business, really having no idea where this thing was gonna go, and, and fortunately, John said yes. And today, John leads the product development part of the process, which is critical, we say, product drives everything. And, and so, long story short, John and I begin looking for an even better product than the one that we had initially, one that further differentiated us, and the product you held, held up, which is our Features Elite product, is the result of that. Features Elite actually has what we call targeted compression, and, and this is unique technology to Features. It's actually patented, and we introduced that in 2011, so that was seven years into what we were doing, and we had already become somewhat of established brand in the run specialty market. But the target compression allowed us to isolate compression in one part of the sock that was greater than anywhere else. And that was really a breakthrough for us. So we added this target compression. It also gave us the ability to use color and design in the product that not many, not other brands in the marketplace were doing. And it now makes up about 65 or 70% of our total revenue. And so John helped to lead that development process, if you will, and launching that product into the marketplace. So John, you joined the company in 2002. What is it like in those early days? You know, in the beginning, we were in this small office that didn't have any windows. We were we were subletting a space in a, in a sort of warehouse, old warehouse building. And when you say we, how many people? You know, I think my sister was the first employee. And so there was my dad, my sister, and I think he had hired a guy to help pick and pack orders out in the warehouse who started maybe a week before I did. So that was the initial group. It was this really small, small team. We were in this small cramped office space, no windows. And in the beginning there was no business. You know, we, we, I think we maybe had just received the initial shipment of product out in the warehouse. So we had a bunch of boxes stacked up of this product, but nowhere to ship it in the very beginning. And so I think that's where my dad spent most of his time in the early days was trying to build that distribution network, first through establishing a sales force of independent reps and then working with those guys to open customers out in the market. And so, you know, most of our time was, was spent around that and, you know, waiting on the fax machine at those times to buzz, you know, signifying that we had an order coming in. Well, I was just talking, John, John was talking about the early days and how it was quiet and we were waiting on orders to come in. And I was saying one of the highlights, it was quiet enough that one Friday afternoon, we made a prank phone call to one of John's friends and the whole, the four of us were rolling in the floors laughing because of the prank that John pulled on one of his buddies. So it took a while before we started to get some orders coming our way and, uh, and start to have a little bit of business momentum. So. Well, what a lot of people think of when they want to start their businesses, there's uh, many months, weeks, years where you're just sitting at a phone. You're literally staring at it, waiting for it to ring, or in this case, the fax machine. What happens is a lot of people think, I wanna go into the sock business, I gotta start making socks, which I'm sure the three of you are not known for your knitting. So how do you go out about finding how to get your socks made? So in, in uh, <clears throat> January or February of 2002, I <clears throat> actually flew to Asia, to Seoul, Korea. Never been to Asia before in my life. With the introduction from DuPont, DuPont at the time was a player, DuPont owned Lycra at the time, Spandex, which is a key part of our product today, Coolmax, which was a moisture wicking fiber. Anyway, they were a player in the, 
Sock World, and I knew them from my previous company. So they made some introductions for me to six or seven uh, Korean manufacturers. And so I flew on my own, uh, met with these different companies, <clears throat> and one of them turned out to be this company called Silvertex that became our partner and has been, been our partner ever since. And actually it was a favorable encounter because they're not actually a manufacturer. They're an agent that has connections to manufacturers all over Asia. And so they've been our link, if you will, our liaison to the manufacturing base. But we felt like it was important that because we're a brand, we're a distribution operation, we wanted to focus on the product itself, on marketing the product, on building the brand, building relationships in the market, not the details related to manufacturing, which I had been very experienced with for 27 years and didn't want to deal with those issues. So we found this really good partner. They've linked us to our manufacturing partners in Asia and the most recent one we've been working with now for more than 10 years, again, through them. So that proved to be a good business model for us to work with. A big part of building a business is knowing what you're good at and what you're not good at and finding those partners to do so. So you identify your manufacturer and how to set that up. So now the big piece based on branding is you've got to develop that sales and distribution network to get into sports stores, uh, whether they're boutique uh, shops. So let's talk a little bit as you started and built the network, but that didn't happen overnight. So how is, does that sales cycle start off early on when you're pounding on doors, trying to get a new product into the market. When we started, and it was a really small little group, as John said, we were both doing a little bit of everything. I would go out, John would go out, and there was a point where we decided to segregate our responsibilities a little bit more, and John took the lead with product development, which again, we felt like was the most important thing we did, and I took the lead with going out in the market, show, presenting our brand and our product to stores. And eventually when Joe joined us in 2009, he eventually took the lead in marketing. I, I did have connections in the marketplace and was able to put, the, put together a sales force of independent reps. That means these are people who carry other product lines that sell in the same marketplace as our product. Turned out that as, as Joe pointed out earlier, only one of those original reps is with us today. So even though I thought that was probably a strength of mine, it turned out that it took a couple false starts until we found the right match between the sales reps in the different parts of the country and our company and our brand. But eventually, my role would be to go out in the market and to meet with one of these reps in whatever territory we were in. And we went out and visited. Initially, it was all of these run specialty stores, small run specialty stores, and we were able to get appointments with them. And because they're family-owned or independent businesses, they made decisions pretty quickly, unlike a big retailer like a Dick's Sporting Goods or something like that. And, and that, that's a, a good point to make because you are now in several national chains, a, a, a Dick's being one of them. But So let's talk about the sales cycle. When you go to a, a mom-and-pop run for your life store, you make the presentation. How long early on does it take to where you can convert that into a sale? It's different in, in every case, but in those cases, the decisions were quicker, uh, which was good for us at, at the time. Sometimes the decision would be made right there on the spot. One thing that we did from the very beginning, and we still do it today, we, we used the product as our best marketing tool. So we presented, perhaps we, had a, we always had a product guide. We had the product that we showed, but in the end, after we made our presentation, we left product with the owner, the decision maker, the staff, and uh, to your point where you put on the product and you saw the difference, 
we saw we had the same experience with 99% of all the people that we made presentations to. So we left the product, and the next day they called back and said, "Hey, we like your product. We see that it's different. Uh, we're going to give you an opportunity." The other thing we did, in addition to making a product that we thought would resonate, was we tried to be really easy to do business with. That was another thing I kind of brought with me from my previous experience. These are small independent retailers. They are going to be successful because of the footwear that they sell, shoes, the, the running shoes that they sell. Our, part, our category just needs to work for them, so our orders need to ship on time, they need to be complete, they need to be accurate, and we need to work with them uh, to help them sell the product. So we provided from the very beginning socks that they could use for trons for their customers to use during the fitting process and other things to help them drive sales at retail so that so those running shops begin to see features as a brand that made a great product but also that supported them in selling the product sort of at the grassroots so you're not just dropping off your inventory and saying sell this you're 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 holding their hand all the way how does that differ from a larger retailer well with the larger retailer <clears throat> Number one, the decisions being made one place in a corporate headquarters, for example, and the stores may be scattered all over the country. The staff in those stores don't have nearly the level of interaction with uh, with the consumer. If you think about a big, gigantic, big sporting goods, and features is not uh, is not a well enough brand, so that we kind of get lost with the likes of Nike and Under Armour in a big store like that. Interestingly, though. The big sporting goods of the world and the academies of the world actually reached out to us in 2011 and 12 and 13 because they they go out and do shopping to find new brands if you will and they found features in the run specialty market and they saw that it was resonating and it was visible in lots of stores around the country and so for that reason we went in with a little bit of leverage that we wouldn't have had we been knocking on their door for day one. Well, that would be my question. If you knocked on their door back in 2003, would they have answered? Not a bit. So, it, so that, that was our plan. You know, Cash, you know that you uh, you write a business plan when you start a business. And as you know, you can go on the internet today and figure out, find an exact template for a business plan. But, but you talk about your product and your business model and your customers. And there are a few things in the business plan that we, if we look back at it today, actually proved to be really true. There are other things that, that didn't, didn't prove to be true, but one of them was we were going to build a brand at the grassroots level with lots of small retailers and eventually do business with these bigger players, not at the expense of the small retailer, but when they heard about our brand and wanted to do business with us, and that's really the way that it played out. And today, if you buy features at Dick's or at Omega Sports, the price is the same. You're not going to get an advantage to for, for going to Dick's Sporting Goods. You have this background in uh, hosiery and, and, and sales and building up sales teams, distribution networks. You bring John in in uh, uh, 2002. He, he, he helps with sales, but slowly transitions to product development. And, and I do want to get to how the products changed over the years. But then in what year do you come along? 2009. 2009 you start and I know as of now you're working on marketing right. and a lot of the e-commerce right. and what I find fascinating and I want you to talk about what you work on a day-to-day -day basis but you're kind of the uh, generational divide versus uh, Hugh out knocking on doors building those relationships to where you're taking this digitally and building uh, and I believe growing it substantially through the internet. 
Yeah, so day one, I actually started out knocking on doors as well, which was a great way to sort of build my knowledge of the product, our customers, and even consumers that we sell to. And um, so I, I started out driving around to all these run specialty stores in a car, um, knocking on their door, not necessarily making cold calls for sales purposes, but talking to our the customers we had opened up and before I started and hearing from them what they thought about the product and um, the market opportunities and our competition and learning about their business and how we could be a partner for them and so and and eventually I started going to events as well selling directly to consumers at expos marathon expos and events where we could talk to consumers and get feedback from them and so that was all really helpful to for me to really have, I and mean, I did that for years, for two years at least. But let me ask this just real quick, sure. and I, just to bring up the contract, how did you like that part of the job? Well, it, it was fun at the time. I had no experience in business. I mean, I just graduated college with a history degree and had no clue what I wanted to do. It was 2009, which you will remember was when the economy was not in the greatest uh, place it's ever been. And so... Fortunately, I was able to get a job with with the family, and um, and I really enjoyed it. I mean, it was it was talking to people face to face, sort of you know scary to to kind of walk in the door and um, learn, not knowing a whole lot about anything really. And but it, but it was it was fun because I got to see the country. I mean, I literally went to all fifty states eventually, um, and and visited thousands of, of stores, and so. Um, it was a good place to be at that young of an age and, um, and to learn things from the ground up. And so I would communicate back to them, you know, John sort of pointed me in directions of, hey, let me hear about competition, about um, what our customers are saying, what runners are saying, what, and, and relaying feedback and, and also communicating, you know, our initiatives, our programs to them. And so really that formed a great uh, foundation for me to then move into marketing knowing our audience, our, our customers, our B2B customers, and our consumers ultimately. Let me, let me jump in and make one comment about, about both of their roles in the business. Joe came in in 2009 when, of course, we had started to, the brand had started to kind of come together and crystallize, and that was just before the Features Elite product was introduced. John was there at the very beginning when it was still sort of formulating, and. One of the things that I realized, and I think this is important in any small business, is that it's kind of important the kind of chemistry that you have and the uh, relative strengths that each person has. And fortunately for us, J Joe and John both bring different kinds of perspectives and strengths to our business and our brand. And I realized that early on with John, even though as a father, one might expect that I, I would have known this, but John has a, a more thoughtful, careful way of approaching things compared to me, who's, I'm a more shoot from the hip, react really quickly. And it turns out that's a good combination because early on, John was willing to question me about things when it would have been easy for him just to be quiet and do whatever I said because he came from Davidson also with a history right. degree. So, but, but I realized that his thought process needed to be respected and it's become much more clear today as our responsibilities have been delineated perhaps more. And, and it was why the, the area of product development, product development takes an extremely, it's a tedious trial and error 
careful, thoughtful process that requires a lot of attention, and my attention span doesn't work in that kind of environment, and yet John was able to take that and, and really build it into a, a powerful force for us. And he can talk about that from, from his perspective, but that's how I saw it well, as and the company I, was formulated. The reason I bring that up is you kind of brought them both in on a sales level, which is a great education. It's, it's right. a, a class of itself. But in my interaction with them, uh, you are the proverbial salesman. I, I feel you were <laughs> born this way and you're very enthusiastic and you get buy-in really easily and very um, altruistically to where um, I know that Joe and John both know your product better than anyone and, and will sell it, but their their personalities are different. So uh, John is much more uh, systems and process oriented and Joe's a lot more creative and therefore, you know, on the, on the marketing side. Because what I want to ask now is how you're communicating sales ideas through e-commerce. Right which Hugh, to be honest, you know, it's the way the world's changed sure. and, and you, I've seen how much you've adapted to it, but I'm, I'm assuming you've had to play that role to sell right. him on how you're now going to sell outside of the traditional channels. Right. Yes. I mean, obviously in 2000 today, it's pretty obvious to everyone that the digital space is, is really important. And I think it's hard to make a transition from a wholesale distribution operation to a direct-to-consumer business. Because most companies are either either or. You're either right. in stores or you're online. Exactly. You guys are Trying to do both, yeah. yes. And it's, and it's tough to do that. It's tough to grow e-commerce in harmony with wholesale distribution. Um, most companies, as you said, are, are either or. But we did have, when we started trying to grow our e-commerce business, we did have a brand that had already um, started to resonate with consumers and we had some brand recognition um, so it, it wasn't going to be impossible it took us realizing that there were um, that it was very important to our business to evolve and and then it took us to acknowledge that the retailer was always going to be really important to us and so there were certain things that we weren't going to be able to do we couldn't go on and offer uh, discounts directly to consumers to drive traffic all of a sudden to our website. Um, and we we and and we just weren't set up as an e-commerce operation. There's certain um, certain things that you do as an e-commerce brand, and the way you think and the way you sell, and we just weren't going to be that ever. And so we had to start to build a team to focus more on e-commerce. Um, and, and always keeping in mind that we had to respect the retailer. Over time, it's become easier as retailers have started to realize that brands have to do this to continue to grow. And so we feel strongly that if we're able to build the brand digitally by acquiring new customers and, and building our audience, that that's gonna translate to retail as well, that they're gonna benefit from that advertising. Um, hopefully one day, you know, retailers will have customers coming in asking for features in their store and uh, so we've always been been very cognizant of how the retailer feels about our online presence but believe strongly now that we have to build that audience and, and advertise online and drive traffic to our website to build the brand. As you've 
transitioned how you're selling your product from traditional retail. The product is constantly evolving, right? And you play a large role. So can you kind of tell us where we're at today as opposed to what was it? The world didn't need just another white sock. So where are we today? Because your your catalog is much more dense at this point. I think we realized, you know, after several years of being in business that we couldn't just live on the the original product that we had developed and it was a great product, but you know, the product is the way that we matter to our consumers. And so it's a competitive marketplace and we realized that we were going to have to find ways to innovate. Sometimes that's uh, making improvements to the product um, through knitting techniques or new fibers. And sometimes that's, um, through design and, and, and creating, you know, you know, color and design that's going to resonate with consumers. In the beginning, everything that we did was white or black and the majority of it was, was just white socks. And so that's been a big change in that, you know, our, our products are much more colorful today. There, there are more design features. And so, you know, product is really the engine of the company. And so, to grow our business, we have to continue to find ways to, to make the product better, to introduce new things that are going to resonate with consumers. We're looking for new products that we can add to the line, different types of socks. You know, for the first um, 15, 16 years, our sole focus was on the runner and making socks that, that were going to appeal to the runner. And within the past couple of years, we, we've um, expanded the line by offering some products that we call everyday and so they're a combination of crew socks and these hidden socks that are designed to be worn in um, low-cut footwear and flats and so what your what your hidden socks are brand new to the market and, they are and honestly probably the only high quality hidden sock i've found that doesn't roll off your foot <laughs> right so obviously what our point of difference there's, there's plenty of, of brands that already you know offer every day, whether it's men's casual or dress socks or these hidden socks, but we're, we're taking the performance features and benefits that have always been in our running socks and we're putting those in our everyday socks. And yet we're, we're, we're combining them with uh, an aesthetic that's appropriate for those types of products. And so, yeah, our, our catalog has expanded greatly. We, we've got products that are designed for people that have plantar fasciitis. So we, we, we created a line a couple years ago that, that utilized some of the technology that's in our running socks, but that was targeted to address people that have you know, specific uh, foot issues. And that line's been really successful as well. So, uh, so yeah, so we're always looking for the next thing that's gonna, gonna resonate out in the market. As we're kind of coming to a close and, and kind of to bring it back where we started, uh, I originally would have thought I am not your perfect customer and you got a pair of socks on my feet and converted me. How do you get a pair of socks on every man, woman, and child? <laughs> that's a good question, and, and I guess that's what we wrestle with uh, every day. As, as Joe said, we continue, and as we've said as a group, we continue to try to build our brand in sort of a holistic way. We, we don't want to uh, ignore or bypass the small independent retailers, the run shops and the footwear shops that helped us to build a brand. So we, we don't do anything that is undercutting them in any way. And yet we are trying to find ways to get the product on more and more people to build our consumer base directly to consumers through our, our own website, 
by expanding into other countries, by expanding into other markets. John uh, led us into a, a footwear specialty marketplace that's slightly different than the run specialty marketplace. And there's a five to 800 of those independent retailers scattered around the country. And we're slowly but surely penetrating that market as well. They have different consumers, but consumers, again, that are willing to pay for a product that delivers them value. So that, that was kind of one of the original precepts. You know, I said this time we were going to be a brand, we were going to be a distribution operation. We were also going to be a product that had a premium price. So not, not everybody was going to purchase the product, but a discerning consumer that if they put the product on and had the reaction you do, uh, you did, it's going to say, okay, I'm willing to pay that higher price for that product. And by the way, we do put a lifetime guarantee on every one of our products that says if you're not satisfied with our product for any reason, you come back to us and we'll be glad to replace it or refund your money. And, and one other thing I would say that's different than my, my first role for 27 years, naturally we've enjoyed growing the business, growing the brand, seeing the brand be successful in the marketplace. But I think the thing that makes us feel better than anything still to this day is uh, I, I get on an airplane, I'm flying somewhere to go do business and meet, meet customers, and I'm wearing a shirt that's got our features name on it, and somebody who I've never seen before says, oh, you, you work with features, that's my favorite sock. And so somebody in an unsolicited way is letting you know that your product made a difference, and I think that's, in the end, uh, that's what makes us feel good. It's not, it's not just the dollars and cents, it's just, just not just the number of retail outlets, but it's having that, that actual consumer say, boy, I, lo I love your product. And we fortunately get to see that at a lot of the places that we go, either in, in retail stores or at expos, as Joe said, that we visit and, and, and show our brand at. And so that makes us feel really good about what we do. And real quick, as, as we close up, uh, there's a couple talking points I just want to make sure we hit. Number one, I want to say, as you talk about the value and the service you provide and you throw lifetime guarantee on here, which Somewhere in this country has lost a little bit of value because everybody slaps that on. But having been been to your offices and realized there's one area that literally are people taking calls, replacing socks, refunding money. It was, I got to tell you, it was eye-opening to actually see it in practice and seeing the, the words that were printed were actually being honored. Exactly. Um, again, uh, one of the things I want to talk about, but I don't think we have time for it today, is you also, uh, you have a social cause that you donate socks back. I will, I believe you have a link on your website that, that, that does that. I will uh, make sure that there's a link there so anyone watching this will be able to follow that as well. We feel like it's, uh, any, any business has an obligation to do some sort of giving back and right here in Charlotte Central based both in Charlotte and Hickory, uh, John has actually joined the board of a group in Charlotte called Let Me Run that's almost nationally in, in scope or national in scope that tries to help young middle school age boys build self-esteem through running. We donated both cash support and product to them for that purpose. We, we try to give product anytime there's an area, there's a storm in Puerto Rico or, or uh, Houston or wherever and they need people on the ground need socks and shoes and things like that. We've responded to that. There's a, a connection we have through Davidson College, a program called Access to Success. A former basketball player, uh, Andrew Lovedale, who played with Steph Curry, by the way, uh, has a program where he's helping kids back in his native country of Nigeria, and we've been giving socks to them. And Samaritan's Feet here in Charlotte uh, does thing with, with products like ours and, and shoes. And so we're, we're always looking for way. I mean, that's part of, I think, being a, a corporate citizen, so to speak. So we try to 
to help out where we can. Well, excellent. A great cause, great product. And uh, we could probably go another hour talking about the company culture. But uh, maybe if there's some success with this, we'll bring you guys back and we'll talk about that as well. But thank you all for, for coming. Great. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Cass. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash Education or visit influencingentrepreneurs.com to catch up on previous episodes with Casimir Ward.